0: My name's Brian, and uh, like Paul said, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, my wife and I, who my wife and kids are right here in the in the front, uh, have been here since 1999. We've called this place our home. We've been discipled here. We've been in small groups here. Uh, we love this place, and so it is a privilege to serve you as a pastor on staff and to teach you uh, this morning from the scriptures. We're continuing in Acts, so why don't we, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts. 21:27. That's where we'll pick up where Jeremy left off last week. To kind of catch you up with some context, uh, Jeremy kind of left with a cliffhanger of what is going to happen when Paul takes the gospel to Jerusalem. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, basically, Paul is has been around the region sharing the gospel. The gospel has been bearing fruit. Small house churches are beginning. But more often than huge conversions, we see riots, we see violence, we th- we see what Paul later penned in one of his letters: this gospel and the cross was foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block uh, to the Jews. And so, on his way to Jerusalem, the Spirit of God in the community that's surrounding Paul is saying, "Don't do it." Uh, the people are saying, "Don't do it." The Spirit of God is saying. Bad stuff's going to happen, okay? And so there's no confusion in what the Spirit is doing here. The, the Spirit is saying, bad stuff's going to happen, you're going to be bound, and the community is saying, that doesn't sound like a good option. Let's keep preaching to the Gentiles. Uh, Paul says, you're breaking my heart. Or don't you think I'm, I'm willing to die and suffer for this gospel? Paul is compelled by love to share this good news. Uh, He is going back to his kinsmen. He's going back to the people he knows, the people he was raised with, the people he studied with, maybe even the people he taught, maybe even the person that taught him. He's going back to family. And he's seen this gospel bear fruit across the region, and now he's excited to share it with them. So he gets to Jerusalem. James says, we got a problem. Uh, all the Jewish Christians believe that you are against them. And so here's the plan. You're going to go through this. You're going to take a vow and go through this Jewish, Jewish tradition, this ritual, to show that you honor uh, the Jews. And so if we look at this, what, what Paul is going through is much like what maybe Christians today might do in saying, I'm going to take a retreat so that I can have some concentrated time with God for prayer and fasting. I don't want any distractions. Sometimes even Christians throughout history have gone to a monastery for this kind of retreat. This is a Jewish tradition that is much like going to a monastery. That he's going and he's taking this vow, he's shaved his head, and now he's in the temple. He's carrying out James's plan. And Jeremy asked, How is it gonna go in Jerusalem? Well, let's read. Verse 27. When the seven days of his vow were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up a whole crowd and they seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and against our law and against this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, Uh, in the city with Paul and assume that he had brought him into the temple. Now, if you don't know this, the the, uh, Gentiles were not allowed into specific areas of the temple. So they see Paul with Trophimus, this Greek guy, and they assume that Paul has brought him into this sacred place reserved only for the Jews. And there was uh, on the walls of the temple uh, plaques that actually they've found, archaeologists have found, that basically state that you will be killed if you bring uh, a Gentile into this, So this is what they... So as soon as they make the accusation, he brought a Greek in. Here we go. Verse 30. The whole city was aroused. And the people came running from all directions and they seized Paul. They dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. Paul will never again enter the temple. While they were trying to kill him... News reached the commander of the Roman troops, and the whole city of Jerusalem that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some of his officers and soldiers and ran down through the crowd. And when the rioters saw that the commander and the soldiers were coming, they stopped beating Paul. Where the Romans could oversee, the soldiers could oversee life in the temple, uh, there was often moments like this where the crowd would be uproar, and if, if they wanted to kill. They had to do it fast because they knew the Romans would come and break it up. And so this was not uncommon that when the Jews were rioting that they would actually beat someone to death hard and fast before the Romans could get there. Now we've seen on the news plenty of riots and things getting stirred up with the protests and the police and, and all the things that are happening right now to visualize a scene of people that are angry and terrified and upset and hatred. We've seen it. We see it on the news every night. But have you ever seen a whole city go after one man? Have you seen that kind of riot? Because that's what's happening here. There was a documentary that I watched on the revolution in Libya. If you remember a guy named Gaddafi, the whole country was after Gaddafi. And the end of the uh, documentary was someone's cell phone footage of when the crowd finally got to the man. And this whole crowd converged on one man. And you're kind of going through with the cell phone footage, and you see him, and these people that had been oppressed and mistreated by him had just beat him senseless, and it was a really horrifying look on his face. Now, I have to imagine that is similar if a whole city has been pounding on me hard and fast, trying to kill me before the Romans come. From this point on, we have to picture that scene. Paul's been torn to pieces. There's blood. hair's been removed. He's been beat nearly to death. Let's pick up in 37. As soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I speak to you? The commander said, do you speak Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out in the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, no, I'm, I'm a Jew and I'm from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please, let me speak to the people. The irony of this is that these people have just torn him to shreds. The Spirit said it was going to happen, and now he comes to this point, and it happens. And you would think, they've rejected the message. They wouldn't even let me open my mouth. I'm going back to the Gentiles. And yet, Paul, compelled by love and having this good news, and how Jesus, the risen, the resurrected King, completes their Jewish story, he says, just give me Give me one more crack at this. I didn't even get to open my mouth. I have this speech prepared. Just please let me speak to them. It says, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. Please let me speak the gospel. I want to pause now because we're going to look at the rest of the section and what that speech actually looks like. But I want to give you some imagery that I think will help us understand the beauty of the gospel and how it completes our story. And how it has reformed Paul and reshaped him from a man who was the persecutor and was the one killing Christians to the one that's willing to lay down his life for the people that were persecuting him. How did that happen? So here's the story, not of Paul, but this, uh, this imagery. And it involves a cathedral. Tyler Johnson and I were college roommates. Tyler really liked... Uh, Nebraska Cornhusker football and I had a friend on the team and so I I was into the Cornhuskers and the Cornhuskers were going to go play Notre Dame. It's the first time Big Red had ever gone into Notre Dame and played. These are two great football traditions and a Catholic friend of ours bought us tickets to go to this game. Now these tickets are going for $400. We did consider for a sec scalping those tickets and watching it at the bar but we didn't. (laughs) We went to the game. And while we toured the, uh, the campus, we went to the cathedral. And in fact, Luke Simmons, who's the pastor at Gateway, joined us. He was going to school in University of Illinois, and he drove over. And so Tyler, Luke, and I are walking around Notre Dame. We walk into the cathedral. And it was, it was beautiful. The blue ceilings were just like the purest, brightest blue you, you've ever seen. And the architecture, there was gold and it was just, everything was so clean and so shiny and so beautiful. And the stained glass was amazing. But to be honest, Protestant in a Catholic cathedral, I really, my eyes were looking for what is wrong? Where is the, where's the idolatry? Where are they off? Where are they different? So although I appreciated the beauty of the place, I could not appreciate what the cathedral was built to do. Now, fast forward a few years later, I'm in a seminary class, and my church history professor says, Next time you go into a cathedral, pay attention to what it's trying to do. I had no idea what he's talking about. When these cathedrals were built, they were built at a time where the people were illiterate, they couldn't read. It was built before the time of the printing press, they didn't have a Bible. And out in the world, the world, outside of the church, the world was narrated by the world. This is the way things are. This is what you're supposed to be doing. But when people entered a cathedral, they entered the Bible. And they could see it with the imagery. Now, let me tell you, two years ago, I went to Notre Dame again. We were going to a conference in Granger, Indiana we're catching a flight out of Chicago and we came back, we're going through South Bend. I said, guys, if we have time, we have to go see this cathedral. So we go into the cathedral and I remember sitting down and saying, what is the cathedral trying to do? I remember seeing the shape of the cathedral was a cross, was the first thing I noticed. And then where the head of Christ would be on the cross was a throne. I said, this is the gospel, this is the good news that Jesus, the head, has risen and ascended to the throne. What kind of king is he? There's a cross. He's a king that lays down his life for others. What else? And I looked up, and there's these cascading drapes coming from the cross, and they were red. What kind of king is this that sits on the throne that lays down his life? He's a king that has shed his blood over all those that sit in these pews. And they're literally sitting under this symbol of Christ's blood. And I stepped back a little further and I saw that the place where the body would be on the foundation of the cross was where the pews were. The body of Christ. I stepped back further and there was a baptismal. How do we enter into the body of Christ? Through faith. And this demonstration of passing through the waters of baptism, I enter now into the beloved people that surrender to the King, that have been loved by the cross and covered by the blood of the Lamb. And imagery, if you know me and you've taken a class, imagery is like pictures and whiteboards and... right. It's like fireworks in my brain. This is amazing. And then I go walk a little further and there's a table with oil. Well, I wasn't raised in a tradition where we used a lot of oil, but I knew that oil was used in the Old Testament for prophets, priests, and kings, that they would anoint King David with oil saying, you've been chosen by God to be king. They would anoint uh, the priest, they would anoint the prophet. So passing through the waters of baptism, there's oil that has now given these people in these pews new, a new identity as a royal priesthood. They're royal, that means they belong to the king. They're a priesthood. What does a priest do? But stands between God and the people as an intimate, in, uh, ambassador. So I take the needs of the people and I go before the throne, and I take the truth of God and I go before the people. This is the identity of the church. I'm just so thrilled. I wanted to stay there for hours, but we had to go. And I looked briefly at the stained glass, and the stained glass was telling the story of the Old Testament. And there were beautiful oil paintings below in these amazing frames, and they were telling the story of Jesus. And on my way out, we went out kind of the side. I thought, what are at the nails? You know, this... The building is in the shape of a cross. Christ is the head of the church. The body is in the pews. What are where the nails are? And we walk out near the nails of the cross. And it's story after story in paintings of the martyrs that had given their life throughout church history for the gospel. Going to this cathedral the first time I relate to when I first came to Christ. Uh, My friend Jeff invited me to a a winter camp in, in junior high and my pastor Bob Wade told me about the cross. And it's as if he took me to the Bible, the cathedral, now figuratively speaking, and he said, Brian, that weight of sin that you've carried with you, that separated you from God, Jesus took care of it on that cross. And he explained the blood and how it washed me clean, and I got to be a part of the church. My heart was so filled with gratitude, and I, I truly became a Christian that day. And I lived my life to try as best as I could to say thank you to God, that my life would become a living sacrifice for Jesus. But the more I came to this church, and the more I joined small groups and men's breakfasts and conferences and people handed me CDs that had sermons on it it was like my second trip to the cathedral the bible exploded and i realized that this was far greater than just my forgiveness of sins but what this gospel was saying is this is reconciliation and restoration of me and all of creation that jesus died as as jeremy said last week king of the jews but he was resurrected Lord over all. Now, Paul could not hear this story, the story of the cathedral. Paul, who was he? What was his name at the beginning of Acts? Saul, and we first see him, and he is the zealous persecutor of the church. And Stephen, the first martyr, is trying to lay out the story of the Bible and how Jesus is the fulfillment of the story And Saul ends the conversation and they stone him dead. Stephen died without being able to tell the punchline of how Jesus completed his story. Now the irony that now Saul has become Paul and before he ever gets a word out, they say, we don't wanna listen. They've torn their clothes, they've thrown dust in the air. And they won't listen. They have put their fingers in the ears and they said, we know the story. The Gentiles are not the story. Let's listen to the speech that he gives. Now, knowing that Paul has this beautiful picture of the gospel, he's seen how Jesus completes the story. The resurrected Christ is Lord of all, over all creation and I can't wait to go tell my people beginning of uh, let's see it's 2140 after receiving the commander's permission paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd and when they were all silent he said to them in aramaic their language brothers and fathers listen now to my defense do you hear the tone brothers and fathers not you fools you persecutors and haters and murderers. Remember, Paul is torn to pieces at this point. Maybe he's got some blood wiped away, but there's swelling in his face. He's been beat nearly to death. And he says, brothers and fathers, please listen to my defense. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city, and I studied under Gamaliel, and I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors, and I was as zealous for God as you are today. They said he was, the accusation was he was against the people, against the law, and against Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And he just said, I'm from, I was raised in Jerusalem, I studied the law, and I was as zealous for God as you are today. Now, if we're watching this on our news channel, and we see all of them trying to beat one of God's men carrying the gospel, and we go, man, they are so zealous for God. They are passionate about God. That's not what I would think. And yet, Paul is honoring them in their zeal, and saying, I was just like you. He had gone back to the people that were the persecutors that he once was. He's been transformed by the gospel, and he says, I was just like you. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and show, and throwing them into prison. As the high priest over here and the council can themselves testify, I obtained letters from them. To the associates in Damascus, where I went to bring these people to prisoner, as prisoners to Jerusalem and to punish them, these guys over here sent me to persecute. You can ask them. I was on my way to Damascus. And about noon, I came near to Damascus. Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me. We've heard this story before. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He replied, My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? Interesting that Paul, in the, in the first scene that we see him in Acts, has no question. He knows what's right. He's proud. Now he's been struck blind, and he's humbled, and he comes with not answers... He comes with questions. What shall I do, Lord? Get up, the Lord said, and go to Damascus. There you will be told, yet you have been assigned, you will be told what you will have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. And a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law. He was a good Jew. And he had a good reputation amongst the Jews living there in Damascus. And this Jew came to my aid. And what did Ananias do? He welcomed Paul into the cathedral. He brought him into the word of God and he showed him how Jesus, the king, who laid down his life and was resurrected on the throne, pouring out his blood to wash the sins of the body, has created the royal priesthood, how that Jesus is completing the Old Testament story. Ananias brought Paul in because Paul had been humbled. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one. And to hear the words from his mouth, Messiah, straight from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people. You'll be a witness to what you have seen and what you have heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized to wash away your sins, calling on the name of Jesus. My professor said evangelism is much like entering into the cathedral. Uh, That at the moment that I realized I needed forgiveness of sins, my pastor was there to show me in the cathedral the cross. And I found it very difficult to evangelize. And I'll shake your head if you found it very difficult to evangelize. To bring my friends into the cathedral, into God's word. How much would you cover the opportunity to bring them into a class, your unbelieving family, and to say, let's just start from the beginning. And like looking at the stained glass of the cathedral, we could walk through the significance of the garden and life with God and shalom and harmony. The devastation of believing a lie, And the world being turned upside down by sin. And the destruction. But God sent a promise to Abraham. And to be able with your friends to work all the way through the Bible. And then to go back and look at the paintings of Jesus' life. And tell the story of Jesus. And what kind of king do we serve? And what did he do? He went towards the widow. He went towards the lame. He preached good news. Wouldn't that be great? Great. I've never had that opportunity. Brian, would you please tell me everything that's in the Bible that answers all my questions? If you're in this room and you're not a believer and you have that question, would you please ask that to me so we can spend some time together? More often than not, I come across friends who are not feeling the weight of their sin. They're feeling the weight of cancer. They're feeling the weight of kids that have gone astray they're feeling the weight of politics that have gone mad they're feeling the weight of racism of disunity those are my friends and that's what they talk about and i want you to see that bringing somebody into the gospel does not have to be through the door that says you're a sinner and you need that cross now, some of you, I just saw knuckles go. i picking up stones. In Acts, Paul doesn't do that. In Acts, Peter doesn't do that. They enter in through the door and say, let me tell you how the gospel answers your question. Your community that you said Zeus and Hermes has cursed your village because they showed up and you didn't recognize them. Paul and Barnabas do not say, you are sinners and you need the cross of Christ to be forgiven. Instead, they say, you know, when they did a miracle, they lifted up Paul and Barnabas and they said, Zeus and Hermes are back. We have to recognize them. We have to worship them. Maybe they won't curse us anymore. And Paul and Barnabas go, hold on a sec. No, let me tell you about the God who, although you ignored him, did not curse you, but he has blessed you. He has still sent rain to your village that has grown your crops and provided for you blessing even though you've ignored him. Unlike the story that you believe out there that says that Zeus and Hermes have cursed you, the true story in the Bible, in this cathedral, is that there is a God you've been ignorant of that has blessed you. And Paul and Barnabas bring them in the side door. And what do they get once they're in there? The full story. Right? To the Greeks, I see that you're a religious people. There's images of God that you worship all over the place. There's one that's an unknown God. I'm here to tell you about the unknown God. Does not start the conversation with you're a sinner. You need to feel the weight of your sin and you can be forgiven. In the side door... He brings them into the cathedral to say, let me tell you how your story is complete. There is an unknown God, and this unknown God sits on a throne. How did he get on that throne? That God was the creator and was rebelled against. And he came down and took on flesh, and he lived the perfect life, and he was killed by his own people. But he resurrected and ascended to the throne. He sent his spirit to indwell this people that would carry out his mission to restore all things. There's a more complete gospel, and I want you to see that. There is freedom in the gospel to not always start every conversation with you have sinned. That might be uncomfortable, but as you look through the, the book of Acts, you see it's an invitation in to the cathedral to sit down. And the first thing they might notice My friend, five jobs, five houses, five cars, a couple wives had gone through and there is this progression of trying to find life, trying to find life and things and he could not. And I think of the cathedral and I remember the picture of the woman at the well and I said, hey, do you know about the woman at the well? And he says, what are you talking about? Have you ever read the Bible? No. Do you know anything about Jesus? No. And I brought him into the cathedral. I brought him into God's word. I said, let me tell you about this painting. Let me tell you about this situation. Jesus was with a woman at the well. She was talking about thirst. And and Jesus said, I can take away that thirst. I have living water. And she had been going for husband to husband to husband to husband, thinking that it was going to find satisfaction. And no man could quench her thirst. And all of a sudden he said, will you show me around the cathedral? That's not what he said, really. (laughs) He did say this, would you teach me the Bible? Because I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. And we went through and I got to tell him the story and he got baptized and he he was entered into the body of Christ, covered by the blood of Jesus. He had entered into the gospel. Paul goes, and he has a message. He goes to Jerusalem. The door that he's going to take them through is the door that he saw. Garden, in the beginning of Genesis, I'm going through the stained glass now, if I can remember it. Garden, rebellion, exile. They got kicked out of the Garden promise, they're going to go to another garden. Slavery. Exodus through the blood of a lamb. Redemption. Through wilderness, bread from heaven. A light that they followed till they reached the promised land. In that garden, a lie, rebellion, exile. A promise, a redeemer, Slavery to Rome. Blood of the Lamb, Jesus. Returning to a garden, new creation. And in the wilderness, bread from heaven. The body of Christ that we take every week. The light that they followed in the Old Testament. The light that came in Pentecost. The Holy Spirit that now guides us. Not a pillar of light, but a light that is inside us. And Paul is trying to tell them how the completion of their story has come through Jesus. This is their posture. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble because the proud don't have questions. And they reject them. Every story, this seems like a pretty straightforward story. They didn't listen. God takes the gospel through the Romans and then escorts Paul to Rome so that the the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. Straightforward story, but I think we have some lessons to learn here. We got five minutes. I think I only need three. Point number one, Jesus will change you. If you enter the cathedral, he will change you. Saul, the persecutor, became in the form of Jesus, someone that laid down his life. Over here, he used his power and privilege to bully people. Over here, he laid down his life so that he could share good news to those that hated him. Zacchaeus is a beautiful painting in the cathedral. It's a story in the Bible about a man that took from people. And in one interaction with Jesus, he became a man that was generous. Jesus will change you, but you have to spend time in the cathedral With him, you have to sit in the pews and out of gratitude for what he's done, obey Jesus as your king. Let him show you around the word and so that you can see the picture of the gospel is way more than just my forgiveness of sins, but it is my birth into the reality of how life is supposed to be. Point number two, Jesus is what the world needs. Church, we are a royal priesthood. We've been anointed with oil to represent the king wherever we go. How do we represent him? Look at the paintings. Compassion, grace, truth, drawing near to people that are hurting, loving people, risking your life for people, sharing the good news with people, serving people. As I look at the stories of the paintings, I know, as a royal priesthood, as a member of the royal priesthood, when I leave and go into the world, compassion, truth and service, humility I represent my king. And then as a priest, I take the needs of the world and I bring them before the throne. And when I get these pictures of how your story and your problem matches up with the gospel, I take them through the side door. Let me tell you about the woman at the well. Let me tell you about the woman at Nain. Let me tell you about my king. Have you heard of Jesus? Do you know anything about the Bible? There's a story in the Bible that pertains to exactly what you're going through. Would you mind if I shared it with you? As a royal priesthood, we have to bring people into the cathedral to see the cross and the throne change them, the person of Jesus. The third thing. Third point, Jesus is the king over all nations, all tribes, and all tongues. What was the eject button on um, Paul's speech when they they went berserk? What, what, What was the thing that he pushed on? He said, Jesus sent me to the Gentiles. The gospel is crossing borders outside of Israel, outside of our people, And we have to know, especially as there is kind of these conversations about nationalism and race and hatred and immigration and refugees and crossing borders, we have to know our God is king over all of it. And if we look in the cathedral, the the painting on the ceiling is of every nation, tribe and tongue, every colored skin, every ethnicity is making its way to the throne of Jesus. And he is reconciling with unity, a beautiful tapestry of humanity. And today we're a picture of that as we live in unity with one another from all nations, tribes, and tongues. The last point. You can be zealous for God. This is important. You can be zealous for God Or appear to be zealous for God and completely opposed to what he's trying to do. Paul says, I was zealous for God just like you. And yet they were standing in opposition of what God was doing in the world. When you get on social media, and it's a firestorm of hate and like frustration, step back. And ask yourself, have I been informed by the cathedral? Is what I am writing right now a part of the royal priesthood? Is it come from here? Or am I like the Jews that appearing to be zealous for God, I'm casting stones at the people that are trying to tell me this is how Jesus fulfills the story. When we engage in social issues and hard things, Wisdom is hard. It is hard. Come together with brothers and sisters and get in this thing. Know this thing. Dwell with Jesus in this thing. Pray to Jesus in this thing. And then take a humble posture that doesn't say, Don't, you can't tell me. I know the truth. But says, How do you see it? Tell me from here. How do you see it? What stained glass image pertains to this? What painting of Jesus pertains to this? What mural, what symbol, what part of the gospel is telling us how we should proceed in these times? And only then do I think we'll be a faithful priesthood in the midst of these difficult times. Let me pray for us. Father, more than anything else today, I pray for a spirit of humility in our church that comes from gratitude for the cross. That you are on the throne and we are not. And we exit these doors and we hear a different story. Coming into your word, you tell us the true story of the world. And it's there we find Jesus on the throne. It's there we find our identity as a royal priesthood. And like Paul, I pray that we would be people that would love our neighbors so much. That we would take their needs before your throne that we'd take their concerns and we would usher them into the gospel and we would get to share in a way that connects with their life so that they might sit in those pews and be covered by your blood and be restored as a human being that you might be honored and glorified and your name might be hallowed in our city. We love you God. Forgive us for how we forget. Forgive us for how we've sinned against our neighbor. Forgive us for our pride. Make us like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.